HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Escape Makers On Demand Agrotourism Training. For more information, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. My guest today is Jamila Norman, the farmer owner of Patchwork City Farms in Atlanta, Georgia. Jamila, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So... First of all, I, you know, practical question, are you in the middle of an intense heat wave? Because (laughs) I was thinking about you yesterday when I was on a farm in Baltimore and it was a hundred degrees and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what it's like farming in Atlanta right now. (laughs) It's so hot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's so hot right now. Yeah. I mean... How do you manage it on the farm? I mean, you just take lots of breaks and drink cold water. Yeah, that's really all you can do, I guess. That's the thing, yeah, about like having your own farm and this is what I do full time and this is how I, you know, pay my bills and everything. So 
I can't just be like, okay, I'm just leaving for the day, you know, like stuff's got to get done. And I just, you know, you just kind of pace yourself, take it easy, drink water, lots of breaks. Right. And I just kept going. And then finally, it kind of like, uh, we've been having a lot of afternoon showers. Well, late afternoon, not afternoon, early afternoon enough, but late afternoon around five or six that the clouds came in and it was way more manageable. So I'm like, okay, I just get to the afternoon showers and then I'll be <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I hope it cools down. I hope this doesn't last Me too, all summer. Oh my God, it's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I want to hear, first of all, just how you got into farming. Um, I saw you have a degree in environmental engineering. Um, how did you go from that to life as a farmer? Were you, were you always farming? Was it a career change? What did that look like? So actually it was, it was a four year overlap. So what really spurred my interest in farming was, um, was more so like I just started with some friends in the neighborhood and we wanted to just grow healthy food for our families. And that's really what it was. We moved to Southwest side of Atlanta, which is um, majority African-American. It's a mixed income community. And, you know, it's the same story of a lot of black communities in America where lots of divestment. Um, I was really bustling and then just, you know, white flight and redlining and all that. So when I moved here with my family, a lot of beautiful older homes, and it just reminded me of the vibrancy of New York. So I loved it. But when we got here, there was just like, the food options were like a lot of fast food, you know, um, gas station, corner stores, whatever. And then like one Kroger that serviced a really large area and it was, it wasn't the best one. I mean, I would always go to the other grocery stores in other parts of town just, you know, to get like even organic fresh produce. Yeah. And so um, there were some um, older black women in the community that had already started some gardens on different spaces. And two blocks from me was a, a church it was called the Good Shepherd Community Church. And there was an older lady there by Miss Lizzie. So I would go there and help her out at the garden that they had, which was an acre on a three-acre lot. Um, and then I met my business partner, um, future business partner, at the park while we were trying to organize having a community garden inside the park, which is two blocks away from the house as well. And, um, and we started... Um, growing at the community garden. And then we um, found an opportunity to grow on a one acre site at a middle school that um, was, had started, there was a nonprofit that had started a garden there and then the nonprofit kind of fell apart and we stepped in to take over that opportunity. And that was 2010. And that's just really how I started. I mean, just like meeting like-minded people and wanting to grow just healthy food and have just like better options. Because I was still working full-time as an environmental engineer with the state of Georgia. 
So when did when did you make the switch from kind of community garden growing, um, you know, everyone growing food together to commercial farm where you're actually selling um, the produce? Right. So an acre is a lot of land. (laughs) (laughs) An acre is a lot. And I mean, we didn't have the full acre under production, but maybe about um, half of that acre we had put into production. And that's a lot of food. And so it was just like way more than we could consume. And so we were like, oh, we probably should sell some of this stuff. (laughs) Um, And there was a a farmer's market in town at Piedmont, Piedmont Park Farmer's Market. And they had um, free table in for farmers. So farmers could come and set up for free. And so that's where we started selling, you know, selling our excess vegetables and things like that. Um, And then, you know, to be able to sell, you got to have a business. So we were like, oh, we should incorporate the farm, you know, and and it, you know, went from just like a garden to, okay, well, you know, let's let's create Patrick City Farms. Let's get a business license. Let's just get our paperwork together so, you know, we can. Um, do something with this extra bounty and next thing you know we were full-fledged farmers like going to market every weekend selling to chefs selling to restaurants by the second year we were doing a CSA I mean it just kind of grew yeah Um, and it wasn't something that I intentionally went in and said I want to be a farmer I had a a secret mission of being off the grid in the city and just having <laughs> a little homestead from me and my family. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just kind of like blossomed from there and right. just grew. So what does it look like today? Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're growing and um, what who you're selling to? Um now that you've been kind of in operation for for a while yeah i mean so you know the 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 journey has been with patchwork is like um we started at the school site and then we were there on the lease for four years um i was still working full-time at the state so these were all like weekends and everything then um that lease ended. It was all kinds of drama around that. Um, so the lease wasn't renewed after four years. And for like a period of like two years, I actually wasn't farming and I didn't have a farm, but I was still working in agriculture with a couple of different agencies. Um, and in 2016, so that lease ended 2015. And in 2016, um, I got I got let go from the state of Georgia. And it was also a time where I was like, okay, I've got to get back to farming. Um, I'd landed at a different location to try to transition my farm into a different location. That didn't really work out. So I said, look, I'm only going to farm on property that I own. And Atlanta has a lot of green space, just all within the city landscape. So it's just like really worked well. So I just did a Google search, found a property. And 
end of 2016, was able to purchase the current site where I am, which is 1.2 acres. Um, and then I didn't start farming that site until end of 2016-17. And pretty much just kind of hit the ground running with going to get back with the local farmers markets that I've been in. So I do one farmers market weekly. Currently, I'm at the Piedmont Park Farmers Market, so I went back to where I started. Um, and uh, restaurant sales are not as much as they have been in the past, just because of the climate that we're in with COVID. Um, and then I do weekly online sales to the public. So people go online, we release what we have on the farm for that week, they purchase, and then they come pick up at the farm. And then we also pick up as well at market and I, you know, table at market. Um, and so most of my other sales are just to kind of like people that do prepared meals are kind of like private chefs and caterers and things like that. Right. And is, is it um, all and what was growing on the farm? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> so yeah, Georgia is, Oh my God. I mean, it used to be where you could actually take a break in the wintertime a little bit and just let the stuff in the field like sleep while you took a rest for a couple months. But now climate change and it's just warmer in the winter times. And so we're growing for four seasons a year. So it's all year long. And I mean, all the greens, root crops, so potatoes, carrots, radishes, Baby greens, arugula, kale, collards, carrots, beets, eggplant, tomatoes. So right now there's lots of tomatoes, eggplant, um, snap beans, still have greens, um, still digging up carrots and potatoes. That's what I'll be doing later today. Um, we're also starting to plant for fall. We had strawberries that ended, lots of herbs, some cut flowers. And some medicinal things like we got elderberries coming in, and they're coming in pretty early. Usually they're coming in the fall, but they're ripening right now, so I'm very surprised. Um, so yeah, it's and the farms, you know, always changing. When one crop comes out, we get another crop in, or following up with another round of something. And so right now, I'm already planning out and getting things in the ground for the fall. Right. And even thinking about things that'll go in late fall for spring, because there were always like two, three seasons ahead on the farm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like you're growing a lot. Mm -hmm. on, and, and it's funny, you said, you know, an acre is a lot. And from from what now that you're describing what you grow, it, it does seem like it's like, wow, you're growing so much. And depending on the kind of farm, someone might say an acre, that's not that's not a lot of land. But it seems like you're you're doing a lot. with Yeah. It. Um, yeah, well, I mean, definitely, yeah, acre definitely, like, when you think farm scale, I mean, you know, talk to other farmers, and you're like, my farm's in the city. I'm like, how big is it? I'm like, one acre. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what we do, because we're not, because I don't farm with a tractor, and I don't have to worry about tractor tires spacing and big equipment and all that stuff, like, we pack it in. So the production mm. that I get on my one acre is probably equivalent to 10 acres on like a standard industrial farm. Wow. You know? 
Yeah. And so that's how we farm in the city. I mean, we, it's like, it's tight. People are like, oh my God, your roads are so, your walkways are like one foot of one foot walkways. I'm like, I don't have time to be wasting space for, I don't know, machinery. I don't really have machinery. And so I'm like, you know, just one foot in front of the other is how we go down these walkways. Um, yeah. And so we pack it in, we pack it in a lot of tight space and, and you just, you gotta, but when you farm like that, you really have to build up the fertility of your soil. So there's tons and tons of compost that gets dumped on all of the beds in the farm every single year, all year long. Every time we plant, we're putting in more compost, we're building up the fertility of the soil, we're adding more nutrients, everything's organically grown, I'm certified naturally grown. So um, the productivity is really, really high. Does your background, I'm sorry. Really intense work. Yeah, right. Does your background as an environmental engineer um, help? Like, do you use that training on the farm? So with environmental engineering, I mean, so a lot of my coursework was, it was pretty broad at UGA. So, I mean, it's, you know, from electrical to hydrology, so a lot of water stuff. Um, It's a lot of microbial stuff. So I did a lot of things around compost. We did a lot of water issues. So the work that I did with the state was mainly water, wastewater. So in coming to the site, drainage is a really big issue on my site because the property that I have, it's one acre, it's residentially zoned, but it's, it's, it's at the bottom of like two hills coming both ways. And in working with the city to try to figure out some of the drainage issues, it actually drains 500 acres around. So we look at plots in the city and it's just like, okay, this is my plot and these are my boundaries. But they're really part of a larger ecosystem. And um, that site has had a lot of drainage issues. So in designing the farm, you know, I like watched old patterns of water and how it rains and what, what holds water where and what stages drier. And so that's how you figure out what you plant, where, all that stuff. And then you know, just making sure, I mean, because we are in the city, there's an easement on the, on the east side of the farm and it's a sewer, it's a sewer line. And so just in understanding and in the work that I've done, it's just making sure that, you know, we're not having any contaminated waters or anything like that. I did dig a well, it's 150 foot deep and so making sure we're sampling the well I made sure that you know we had um before I even started farming we did soil tests but you know when you usually do soil tests you know they tell you do a soil test for your farm for your garden the main things they look at is just the nitrogen potassium phosphorus they're looking at the fertility like how much you know nutrients are in there for you to grow and then they'll make recommendations on you know, should you add more nitrogen, things like that. But, you know, with my environmental background and just understanding, you know, anything could have happened on the city. 
property, you know, I made sure to do a full gamut of tests beyond just that, like take testing for heavy metals, testing for pesticide residues and sampling for all that stuff and being able to interpret all those results to know that, okay, I have a pretty good site. I don't have any contamination issues that I need to worry about, making sure water that flows through the site is not contaminated and getting on fruits and veggies and just figuring out how to lay out the site based on its, um, you know, how it is and, and best use for, you know, where I put structures, what goes in the field, everything like that. So, I mean, it really informs, you know, my work all the time. And then just paying attention to the changing conditions with, I mean, global climate change. I mean, like it's real. Yeah. And I've definitely seen a, a major change since I started farming in 2010 and kind of like the seasons that we have now. It's crazy. I mean, like you can't even count on the seasons year to year. It literally is a crapshoot every year. You're like, hmm, what kind of spring are we going to have this year? What's right. the summer going to be like? Like, you know, is winter going to come? Is it not going to come? Is it going to be warm? Is it going to be cold? So, yeah. Yeah. So that that background may be even more useful as as things continue to progress and and you have that that experience to inform your work um uh we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back with more with jamila norman this episode is brought to you by escape makers on demand agritourism training did you know that every $1 invested in tourism marketing returns on average $3 to $8 back? Not a bad ROI. Learn how to grow your agritourism business via 12 workshops entirely women-led. These training workshops are on demand and can be downloaded at any time. The local travel landscape is rapidly changing to meet the demands of the leisure, event, and corporate travel sectors. Whether you're a farmer or producer, a winemaker, a restaurateur, or a destination marketing organization, there's more opportunity than ever to capture these markets. The on-demand agritourism training will provide you with insights and skills to keep your target demographic coming back for more. 14 speakers providing six plus hours of education that you can watch at your convenience anytime on any device. Maximize your time, budget, and resources, and focus on creative solutions to help your business thrive. Presented by Escape Maker and Fulton Stall Market, the full conference access pass is now available to purchase. Use the code HERITAGE2020 for $50 off a full pass at checkout. For more information and to purchase your pass, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. We're back. You're listening to The Farm Report with Lisa Held on Heritage Radio Network. I've been talking to Jamila Norman of Patchwork City Farms in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Jamila, I want to ask you about this current moment in time. We've been focusing a lot on the show this season on just how farms are getting through the pandemic. Um it's really the the thing that's kind of consuming a lot of our lives. Um, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of small farms have lost their restaurant customers, their markets have shut down, and then others have like seen crazy increases in sales. 
has how has your firm been affected by COVID nineteen, if at all? Yeah, no. I mean, it's been a major, um, you know, it's been good, good and bad, right? So, of course, with all the restaurant customers, yeah, that's you know, that's all all gone. So, um, no more sales to the restaurant. Um, industry right now. I have had a few restaurants reach out and they're like, okay, things are starting to pick up a little bit. Definitely not nowhere near where it was um, pre-COVID. But what has happened, and I think it's because we're in the city and we're so close to people is the demand from just everyday consumers has gone up astronomically. So I am busier now than I've ever been on the farm um, and currently have way more people working now than I've had in the past. And, you know, people have just felt much safer picking up at the farm, coming into the farmer's market, or just knowing that they're getting like good, really good, healthy, fresh food so I think they're recognizing like hey you know I mean if this is if I have to be the healthiest I need to be to be able to like you know fight off COVID then let me get the best food possible um and let me do it in a way that is like open air and not increasing my risk so yeah I mean but what has also happened is when I uh, my farmers market has only been open for about a month and a half, and so previous to that, it was just online sales and pickup. And so, with myself and just a lot of the other local farmers, we've resorted to like going online and selling, and that has just like transformed, you know, how we sell and how we engage with customers because. You know, we're just so used to like get your stuff, you go to the market and, and that's it, you know. Yeah. And I had thought about online sales before and I was actually getting, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to try this a little bit. But COVID really just like put it out there. Like, I mean, if you wanted to, you know, reach people, you just had to like go online because that's where everybody was. Um, And so that's been amazing. And we're all like, you know, even after COVID, we're going to continue this because it's just like, why didn't we think about this before? So, is it, um, so that's been really the experience and, you know, the demand is, is still high and the engagement is still high. Um, and I'm still doing the online sales and markets open back up. And so now it's like, you know, keeping up with both. Yeah. And is there any downside to the online sales? Like, is it, is there more labor involved, like in getting posting things online, dealing with orders? Um, like, what are the logistics like for a farmer? Yeah, so, oh boy, and I tell you, I mean, <laughs> every week I'm like, oh, my God. But, yeah, no, you, yeah, you have to go online weekly. So I, I use Squarespace for my site, and so, yeah, I'm pretty computer savvy. So I just created my online store and just on a weekly basis, I will update it. 
people will purchase. Then, you know, yeah, you print out all the orders and then, um, and then you pack up the orders. Um, and people pick up Fridays at the farm and then they also pick up Saturdays at market. So, um, so Squarespace has actually been pretty easy for me to like set up. And what I've noticed and what I've done to make things a lot more manageable for me around the sort of like online is like, I only offer like a, like a veggie basket as opposed to like a bunch of individual vegetable items. If I had to really put up inventory for every single individual vegetable I have, yeah, I can see that would take way more time and be a major logistical nightmare. Um, it just would be a lot. And um, I just don't have a grasp of inventory in my fields just yet to be able to do that. So I just put up like veggie baskets and then I have a couple of other things that like, you know, I'll do eggs, mushrooms, a couple other things that people are looking for that I'll source from other farmers. Um, just so, you know, when they come and pick up, they're kind of getting almost like a complete package for that week, protein, mushrooms, veggies, maybe some fruit. Um, and they like, okay, kind of one-stop shop. Um, and then, you know, if you want individual items, things like that, it's like, just come to market, you know? Um, and the markets have been like, we're all spread out. Everybody has to wear a mask. Every customer coming in has to wear a mask. All the vendors wear masks. There's essentially like the space of a booth between all the vendors. Um, everything's gone all digital. So no cash, anything like that, you know, social distancing. So it's definitely changed the feel of market, but people appreciate it. And they appreciate that, you know, we're taking it seriously and we're being safe and we're giving them this option to continue to get fresh vegetables and be safe. Um, and, um, and, you know, they're always appreciative and I always like, thank you so much for being here. And it just makes it so worthwhile. Um, and it just makes you like, okay, we can deal with wearing a mask in 97 degree weather. All right. Oh, <laughs> you. oh my gosh. It, isn't you it? It's to, crazy like, how much harder it is to wear the mask when it's so hot, right? So like, hot. Yeah. Oh my God. It was like cool for a really long time and then there was no transition and then it was like, and we're hot. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, another yeah, thing so that, That's kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you talked about the market and, and I'm curious, um, in Atlanta, are there are there a lot of urban farms like yours? Like, is the urban farming um, landscape growing? Like, I'm curious what what that looks like, or if most of the other farms at the markets are from outside the city. Wow. So yeah, when I started ten years ago, I mean, I could probably count on one and a half hands, maybe six, seven farms in the city. There, it's been an explosion and such a growth. There's so many urban farms in Atlanta. And then when you expand it out to like, say, Metro Atlanta, and we all kind of came together under um, Atlanta Farmers Coalition. And so there's like 80 something members in Metro Atlanta, which is like a, is that a, it's like a 10 county region. Um, And then City of Atlanta, specifically, I think there are around 30 urban farms. And they range in size because I know people, you know, they think urban farms like my farm is a smaller 
is, is, is small for an urban farm in Atlanta. I mean, we have farms that are five acres, three acres, seven acres, um, mine's 1.2. Some people have like, say multiple lots that all form, you know, the site, you know, their farm collective. Um, so Atlanta, unlike a lot of cities, probably up North, and I don't really know exactly how cities out West were laid out, but a lot of cities up North, I'm from New York, were laid out like on this grid system and really like master planned. Atlanta was not master planned at all. So there's a whole lot of sprawl. There's a whole lot of green space and it's just very wide and open and meandering, which then also means there's lots of green space. There's like, I mean, behind my house, there's an acre lot that's just, I don't know. I mean, possums and all kinds of things come out of there. Huh. And we're like <laughs> five minutes from downtown. So right. it's so green. And then they have a really robust tree ordinance and they maintain a lot of their trees and they keep a lot of greenery. And it's known as the city in the forest, you know, because it's just so lush. So yeah, they're literally in the city of Atlanta proper, like 30 urban farms and in Metro Atlanta are like over 80 plus and growing. Um, and then tons and tons of farmer's markets. So it's white burgeoning and it just keeps growing. It's yeah, just really exciting. That's incredible. Um, we are, we have to wrap up soon, but I, I did want to talk to you about one more thing. So before we go, I mm -hmm. just, had so much to talk about. Um, I know. I, <laughs> um, and I'm giving such long, long drawn out answers. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, I'm really happy to hear about um, everything you're doing. Um, but I did want to, you know, we, we talked about the pandemic and, you know, in addition to COVID-19, we're also in the middle of this historic movement, movement for Black Lives and Atlanta mm -hmm. has been Atlanta has been really central to protests um, against police brutality I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, how how you have engaged with the movement, if at all, and, and if you see intersections in terms of um, growing food in Atlanta and um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I haven't been sort of like directly involved in like, you know, the, the take it to the street actions with like protesting and things like that. The Black Lives Matter movement has impacted sort of like a lot of our farms in the way of just like bringing a lot more visibility, bringing a lot more like just. I mean, so much. So on top of COVID with Black Lives Matter and all of that, I mean, just like the demand has gone through the roof. Um, you know, I've donated like vegetables to different people who are like, you know, preparing food for protesters, things like that. So like I've been involved in that way. Um, and just there's just been, like I said, a groundswell of support and just like upliftment and you know, people just really seeking out, you know, farmers and Black farmers and really making a point to support. So I've definitely seen way more support. And I think partially because I've gone online and it just made it much easier for people to access produce. And um, so definitely a lot more support from um, the community that I really went out to, like the whole purpose of growing food where I grew food was to make food accessible 
to this community. Um, but unfortunately, to keep my operation alive, I've had to then take this good produce and go across town to a more affluent section of Atlanta and sell it there. Um, and so I think with, I've just, I feel like it's been a marketing campaign that I know that local food and black growers have needed that we just haven't been able to fund ourselves with Black Lives Matter. And it's just brought so many eyes. So I have so much more support from the community and they, they're like, oh my God, I didn't even know you were here. This is amazing. I'm so glad I found you. You know, so you're just getting all of that. And I'm like, oh, yay, finally. I'm reaching the community that I really wanted to get to. So, um, yeah. And so that's really been the experience and the work just continues in the sense of just like inspiring up tons more people. I mean, so many people reach out. I want to start a farm. I love what you're doing. How can I do what you're doing? You know, black, brown, um, young, male, female, actually more females than anything else. But I, I think it's because, you know, they're like, oh, a female farmer. Let me reach out to her. Um, and so I just do what I can to support people in that way um, and just try to help as much as possible. So, uh, and, and through COVID, like um, there's a nature preserve one block away from me. And so in that they've been working on some agricultural initiatives. And so just recognizing like, look, you know, we might be facing food shortages. We just don't know. So we've helped them and I, I partnered with them it's the West Atlanta Watershed Alliance partnered with them to activate a space that they have and start growing more food over there that's slated more for like getting to community, getting to seniors, things like that. So that's also been kind of the work that I've done through COVID is like, let me help with the knowledge that I have and the experience I have to expand like fresh food spaces and actual fresh food opportunities and access points in the community and in the neighborhood so yeah so now we're working on patch number two. Oh, nice <laughs> city farms oh quickly before we go um i wanted to ask you what what was patchwork city farms what, what inspired the name so the initial vision was just to have just like to put different patches of properties uh, into um, just like fine green patches of land in the city and turn them into farms. And so I knew that I was going to be in the city. I really wanted people to understand that this was a farm and not just like a garden or something like that, um, that this was an agricultural enterprise. And, um, and yeah, and patchwork was supposed to be a bunch of different locations. Got it. <laughs> food in the city of Atlanta. Perfect. Well, Jamila, thank you so much for, for sharing the story of Patrick City Farms. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. And thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next time. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, 
heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.